Welcome to the River Valley Podcast. River Valley is a group of people seeking to connect to Jesus and connect to each other. And we're excited that you're here. Whether you're listening at home, on the job, maybe at the gym, in the car, wherever you're joining us, I hope that you'll open up your heart, open up your mind, and receive a fresh word from the Lord today. Enjoy the message. Romans chapter 13. Pick it up starting in verse 8. It says this, Owe nothing to anyone except to love one another, for for the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Verse 11, Do this. Knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone, and the day is near. Therefore, let's rid ourselves of the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and debauchery, not in strife and jealousy. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. This is God's word. Let me pray for us once more. Father, you are so good to us. We rejoice. Uh, we praise you. God, is the, the song we sang this morning, we, we praise the one that paid our debt, a debt we could never pay. That is your grace and your love, and we thank you and we praise you for that. Father, I pray now at the preaching of your word that your people would be fed and that you would be glorified. We ask all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it is good to be here with you uh, this morning. My name is Josh. I'm filling in for Cody. And uh, I want to take you back to the spring of 2020. That was a crazy time, wasn't it? Like, spring of 2020 was pretty bananas. You heard the word COVID for the first time, maybe. You heard the term social distancing for the first time. And rumors of this um, virus were, were, were spreading all over the planet. And uh, it was crazy what was happening, right? Like everything was shutting down. Sports leagues like the NBA shut down for a time. And we were all kind of just like, whoa, what is happening? Then uh, as we got onto the pandemic, um, word came that the government was going to send out these stimulus checks to people. You remember that, right? The, the, the word came out that they were going to send um, households these stimulus checks. People started looking forward to their stimmy like it was Christmas morning, right? You remember that, right? How do I know this? Because the memes were amazing on the internet. Let's review a couple. You may recognize some of these from around that time. Uh, Stimmy check hits the account. I hear vacation calling my name, right? Great one. Of course, Michael Scott was involved. We'll see him there. Says me after getting my Stimmy. I love Burlington Coat Factory. You go in there with $600, you are literally a king. We had one of Leonardo DiCaprio just throwing money off. And it's me after that Stimmy money hits my direct deposit. And of course, if we're talking about the spring of 2020, you know Baby Yoda was involved, right? Me waiting for my stimmy stim. Oh, man. P. 
people started changing their behavior, their lifestyle, because the government was going to give them back a little bit of their money. I was like, what's going on with people? But the sense of anticipation was strong, right? It was as if having the knowledge of what was going to happen in the near future changed how people acted that day. I tell you the truth, that is a biblical concept. I've titled the message today, Living Wise Before Sunrise, because that's the compelling call of this passage in Romans 13. Uh, We could summarize it this way. We live differently, not because of a stimmy we can save or spend, but because of a Savior who reigns and returns. Man, Jesus Christ is coming back. How does that change how we live today? Paul puts our situation in this metaphor of nighttime and sunrise, a new day. And I think it's a great metaphor. Our earthly lives are spent in this nighttime here on earth. But man, he's telling us, hey, it's time to wake up. The the new day, eternity is approaching. It's almost here. Jesus is coming back. Our salvation is nearer to us. So how can we do this? How can we live wise before sunrise? I think the text gives us three ways today. You live wisely when you, one, recognize eternity expectantly, two, when you renounce evil actively, and three, when you receive Christ completely. So let's get to our first bit of wisdom. You live wisely when you recognize eternity expectantly. Go back with me to verse 11. Paul says, do this, knowing the time, that it is already the hour for you to awaken from sleep. For now, salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is almost gone and the day is near. If we could summarize those verses, I think we would say something like this. Before sunrise, live like you know the afterlife is fast approaching, because it is. It is. One pastor, Adrian Rogers, said it this way. He said, quote, we ought to live, we ought to be living as if Jesus died yesterday, rose this morning, and is coming back this afternoon. In other words, there should be an urgency to our lives for God's glory, that we don't waste the life that we're given, that we seek every day to honor him with how we live our life. And it's a life of urgency. So let's get practical for a moment. How do we, if we recognize that eternity is, is, is approaching, right, how do we translate that to right here, right now? Well, Paul says in verse 11, he says, do this knowing the time. That's a very key phrase, especially the way Paul wrote it. The Greeks had uh, several different words for how they conceptualized time. They had the word chronos, which is where we get our word uh, chronological. And this is time in a linear sense, right? Today I'm this old, in five years I will be this age, and it's a linear progression of time. That's chronos. That's how we typically think about time. But the Greeks had a second word, it's this word kairos. And this is the word that Paul uses here. When he says, know the time, He doesn't use chronos, he uses kairos. And kairos thinks of time not in terms of first this happens, then happens. Kairos thinks in terms of strategic opportunity. 
One historian describes it this way. He says, quote, Kairos views time from the aspect of the strategic opportunity, not simply a change from the past into the present or future, not mere duration. He says, Kairos is a moment which is especially appropriate, a favorable time. This is where we get our phrase to strike while the iron is hot. This is the concept that Paul is talking about right here. This Kairos way of viewing life. I've always loved this. As soon as I found out about this, I was in college, um, and I, at that time I was helping to, to begin a college ministry at the church I was at, and I was like, we need to name it Kairos. And I just, I, I love this idea, this concept, because I think it's so helpful. So we can, we can summarize it this way. Living wise before sunrise means you seize strategic opportunities for God's glory that will matter for eternity. That's how we are to view life. Now, if you know me, um, you know that I love board games. You say, Josh, how much do you love board games? Well, I will show you, if you were to walk in the door of my house and look to the left, there's two images up here. That is what our wall looks like as you walk in. You say, Josh, I don't see Monopoly on there. You're right. Exactly. There's a whole new world of games out there, Princess Jasmine. Explore, right? There's a whole new world. Tons of awesome games out there. We love to do that for family time with friends, fellowship. So, yes, I, I do love board games. You say, Josh, out of all those games, what would be your favorite? I'm glad you asked. I'll tell you. It's a game called Tapestry. And you'll see the cover here. Tapestry is my favorite game. It is a civilization-building game. And you don't need to know all the details, but just let me tell you a little bit about it. In Tapestry, you take over, you lead a civilization from the beginning of time all the way into present day or even the future. And you're advancing your civilization on these different tracks like technology or military or exploration or science. And you're progressing and you're choosing how you're civilization grows and expands, and it's an awesome game. But as you play through it, there comes about four times during the game when you need to play a tapestry card. And these are key moments in the game. You, you have maybe a hand of eight or nine of them, but you're only going to play about four throughout the whole game. And these tapestry cards represent like political ideas or philosophies or achievements that your society, your civilization has established. Here's a couple examples. There's golden age, there's capitalism, there's pirate rule, right? So you've got to decide about four key moments in the game, which of these tapestry cards you're going to use. And it matters the timing, right? If you have capitalism, it may not be smart to play it early in the game, but if you save it till later, till like your last tapestry, it can be really, really powerful. And at our game table with my friends and stuff, we will actually cheer on somebody when we see like, oh man, that's the perfect one to play right now. How did you do that? And people will say, yeah, I got it early in the game, but I waited till this moment right here. This is Kairos in action. You, you play the game with this eye for strategic opportunity. What is going to be best right here, right now, in this moment? What might it look like for us to take that tapestry Kairos thinking, what might it look like for us to embrace this idea in our world today? 
Well, I've created some questions here for us, uh, and I put them in, excuse me, in kind of different categories of life. And so you may find yourself in one of these categories, and I just wrote down a, a couple questions for each just to think about how can I think about my life, this season that I'm in, this time that I'm in right now, how can I think strategically? So for example, let's look at this one, the first one, a time for preparation. Some of you may be in a time of preparation, right? Maybe you're in middle school or high school and you're preparing for college, or maybe you're in college and you're preparing for life after college, whatever that looks like. Maybe you're single and preparing for marriage. Maybe you're married and you're preparing for kids. Ha ha, Uh, all the parents laugh. (laughs) Or maybe you're preparing for retirement, right? So you're in a time of preparation. So how can you think well in those moments, in that season of life? Because it won't last forever. So here's a couple questions. Number one, how can I maximize this preparation time? instead of merely enduring it. Man, I remember that in school, right? If you're in that preparation and you're in schooling, you're like, I've got to endure that they're putting letters and numbers and math, and this is just, you know, whatever. But how can I maximize that time? Secondly, how can I grow? Not just in terms of intellect or book smarts during this time, but most importantly, growing in the knowledge of God, namely his character and his attributes. And then this this third one here, are there opportunities to serve others that I may never have again after I leave this phase of life? How can I seize those for God's glory? Maybe you're in a time of next steps, right? You're, you finished that preparation season of life. Now you're into that next step, whatever it may be, right? You're entering college, you're entering the workforce, you're entering marriage or parenthood or what, again, whatever the, the, the case may be some questions to think about. How can I establish, as you take this next step of life, new or deeper spiritual disciplines as I take this next step? Secondly, how, how will I keep an eternal perspective as I move into this next step? And third, again, are there opportunities to serve others that I may never have again after I leave this phase of life? How can I seize those for God's glory? I'll give you one other category of life, and some of you may find yourself there today, it's a time of suffering. Maybe you're in a time of suffering, maybe it's illness, or maybe you're experiencing loss. Um, what are some questions I would, I would say to, to be wise to, to ask? First, suffering can lead to a newfound closeness with Christ. Am I open to that? That's a possible, it's a real thing. Secondly, our God has scars. Jesus suffered for me. How can the gospel comfort me and help me where I am today? And I think this applies too. Even in the midst of suffering, we can think this way. Are there opportunities to serve others that I may never have again after I leave this phase of life? How can I seize those for God's glory? That's what we're called to do. He says, know the time. Wake up. Know the time that you're in. Think about the right play right now because eternity is coming soon. So we're to have an eye on that and to let it inform how we live today. The night is almost over. The day is breaking soon. So you live wisely when you recognize eternity expectantly. Next, you live wisely when you renounce evil actively. Go back with me to verse 12. He says, the night is almost gone and the day is near. 
Therefore, let's rid ourselves of the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let's behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and debauchery, not in strife and jealousy. If we were to summarize it, we could just say simply this, Scripture is calling us to kill the sin that still exists in us. Every single person deals with sin. And here's a news brief, when you become a Christian, that doesn't change. You still must deal with sin. But the call here is to renounce it, to actively reject it, to as much as possible eliminate sin from that we still find in our lives. One pastor uh, describes it this way. He's talked about, he talks about the grammar of the sentence. He says it this way. He says, the verb rid ourselves or lay aside is middle voice, meaning we are to perform the action in and of ourselves. We are actively involved in this process. It is our responsibility as a believer in Christ to take this action and lay aside or cast off any work of darkness that is in our lives. In other words, as we look at this list that Paul lays out here, there's no debate on it. There's no, ooh, man, what do we do about that? No, he says, get rid of it. Get rid of these things from our lives. We could summarize it this way, before sunrise, put the darkness to death. Now let's quickly define those terms. Paul uses several here. He says. Uh, carousing, right? He starts listing out the deeds of darkness. There's carousing. What is that? That's festive parties that they would have that would last all night and be really crazy. He talks about drunkenness. That's to be overcome with alcohol, strong drink, uh, sexual promiscuity, any sexual activity outside the boundaries of marriage. Strife. This word means causing contention or arguments, especially among brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church, among Christians. And then jealousy. Man, that is wanting what someone else has. And that is the drug, I think, of our time. These are deeds of darkness. And we need to be serious about eliminating them from our lives. God says, man, you're going to live wisely when you renounce that, when you reject those things. If you're familiar with the show, The Office, then you know Dwight Schrute, and he is an odd man. Oh, Dwight. Um, and Dwight is just, well, again, he's a really odd guy. And uh, one time in one of the episodes, he gets into a disagreement with a, uh, another character named Andy, and Dwight shuns him. And he literally does a motion, he says, shun. And it's like he's cutting off all communication. And they have this exchange here. Uh, you'll see it on this next slide. Andy, the character at the top, says, okay, when's this shunning going to end? And Dwight goes, unshun, never, reshun. <laughs> and a couple moments later, he gives us the definition. Dwight tells us, what does it mean to shun someone? He says, it's an Amish technique. It's like slapping someone with silence. <laughs> yes. Yes. We are to shun the deeds of darkness from our lives. We shun. No, we're not going to deal with it. We're not going to go there. We're not going to even debate. We shun. Man, slap sin with silence. Let it go. Let it get past. 
shun carousing and drunkenness, slaps in with silence, shut down jealousy completely. Let's shun the deeds of darkness. Are you saying, Josh, we should be like the white shrewd? In regards to how we approach sin, yes, we should be people who shun evil that we find in our lives. One pastor, John Piper, says it this way. He says, kill sin the very moment it comes up. It may come up again tomorrow, but today we're going to kill it. We put our foot on its neck and say, you're not getting up, you're dead. And in fact, the very last phrase of Romans 13, I think, gives us some helpful things. He says, make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. That's so big. You can use this to your advantage. What does he mean? That, that, that phrase, make no provision, it means to use foresight and planning and care. Uh, this summer, my wife and I, we are taking a trip to Florida with, uh, my wife is the oldest of six girls, and so we've finally coordinated all the girls, all the family. It's going to be like 30-something people going to Florida. And so we've planned out where we're going to stop. Bucky's, of course, right? Uh, and then another Bucky's on the other side of Houston, right? And so we've planned out this trip. But my wife is like an ultra planner. She goes a step further. And she has like literally created like a second grade classroom, a seating chart for each person on each vehicle. So we know who's going to be riding where, how we can fit the luggage in. She uses provision, right? She uses that planning. She uses that foresight. Scripture says, don't do that with sin. He says, make no provision, make no plans to allow sin to stay in your life. We could say it this way. We are to make no provision, no plans, no pathways that would lead us to sin as our destination. If it might lead you to stumble, then you for sure get rid of it. A couple summers ago, I was preaching at a summer camp about honoring God and how we use technology, specifically our, our cell phones. And I was teaching this to a group of about 300 teenagers about how to honor God with how you use your cell phone. And during the middle of the message, I see off to my left this eighth grade girl on her phone. <laughs> and I'm thinking, okay, you know, it's just, she didn't get it, you know, it's whatever, I'm, I'm going to keep doing what I do and, you know, whatever. Well, after the service, I go talk with the youth minister, and we were just talking about, and he goes, did you see that girl on her phone? And I was like, yeah, I did. I kind of laughed to myself, and he's like, he goes, so did I. But then I went and talked to her. And he said, as you were talking about things you may need to get rid of on her phone, she was doing that immediately. She was taking out her phone and deleting apps and text threads and messages that she knew were leading her to sin during the message. That's how you apply Scripture, son. It's amazing. Man, that should be us. That should be me. That when I hear from God that I'm to shun evil, to reject, man, that I do it. That I don't wait for tomorrow. Because sunrise is coming. Some questions to consider here. Are there areas of my life where I've been too casual with sin? Are there doorways to sin that I haven't closed? What steps can I take today to walk towards God instead? Secondly, the sins I engage in are the very reasons Jesus died on the cross. How can the gospel encourage me and liberate me from my enjoyment of sins? How can I treasure God more than I treasure secret sins? 
So we recognize eternity expectantly. We renounce evil actively. Finally, you live wise when you receive Christ completely. Go to verse 14. He says, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. This verse is helpful, I think, in multiple ways. It shows us the pathway out of sin, out of those deeds of darkness. And that pathway is the pursuit of Christ. This is what he's pointing us towards. But it's not just a willpower thing. I want to make that very clear. It's not a try harder thing. We could summarize it this way. Before sunrise, leave sin by looking to Jesus. It's not about your willpower. It's about your worship. You fix your eyes on him. Paul says it. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That sounds strange to us. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. One pastor describes it this way. He says, to us, it seems like an unusual expression to speak of putting on a person. But the Greeks understood this language to mean to imitate his example, to copy his spirit, to become like him. A couple summers ago, I was uh, preaching at a different camp, and uh, there were going to be these games for the students in the middle of the day. And uh, it's Texas in July, so middle of the day, it's like about a thousand degrees, right? And all these kids are going to come out for, the, for this big set of games. One of the adult leaders comes to me, I don't know why he came to me, and he goes, hey, I've got an idea to keep the kids motivated. I was like, okay. And he goes, I've got a gorilla suit, and I'm going to wear that. And I said, okay, you do that then. I thought it was just going to be like a mask, you know? Dude had a full gorilla suit, and it's in the middle of July, in the middle of a hot, sunny day, and all of a sudden, all the kids are out, and then all of a sudden, this gorilla comes running out on the field, and he was in on the bit the whole way. Like, he was pounding his chest and running up the studio, and the kids were loving it. They thought it was hilarious, and I thought it was just going to be for like a couple moments. He was in that thing for hours. I thought I was going to have to preach his funeral at the camp because of, like, heat exhaustion. But it was like this, just putting on this costume changed him, and he just stayed in that mode. Maybe you've seen that, right, with kids on Halloween, right? They come up to your door, I'm Superman, or I'm whoever, and they're, they're doing the motions of that character. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says, we are to put on Christ to imitate him, to become like him. And here's what I want to tell you. This is important. This isn't just a costume you put on one day of the week. It's not just a Sunday thing, man. It's put on Christ in all your life. We could say it this way. Putting on Jesus means that our attitudes, thoughts, and actions reflect more of his character. This may bring to mind two questions you may have here. I'll answer them. What is Christ-like character? If we're to be like him, then who, what is he like? I've given you just five examples here. You could go on many other ones besides this. But here's five characteristics of Christ you could, you could aspire to. Number one, humble. And be humble like Jesus. He came down here to serve. Be compassionate like Jesus. He cared for the broken and the outcasts. Be fierce like Jesus. He would not compromise on truth. Be generous like Jesus. Man, he gave in abundance. And be gracious like Jesus. He willingly died for sinners like you and me who rejected him. 
That's the character of Christ. You say, well, Josh, how can I start to do that? How can I start to build that in my life? How can you cultivate Christ-like character? I've given you five ways here. Again, you could probably add to this list. Number one, read your Bible. Spend time in God's Word with God saying, will you change me from the inside out? That's personal time. Secondly, listen to solid Bible preaching. Right? We're here with Cody and just having, or the small group times and things like that, where you have corporate time together with other brothers and sisters in Christ who will encourage you and help you to grow Christ-like character. Three, seek input from trusted people. Have people that know you, know what's really going on in your life and can speak truth into your life. That you could say, hey, is there... Is there areas that I'm blind to maybe? Are there things you see that maybe I'm not seeing that I, I need to get rid of or I need to address? That's discipleship. Number four, consistently look for ways to give generous, undeserved love to people, especially those who don't deserve it. That's being a wise steward of what he's given you. And five, five care about the poor and the needy and anybody that the world leaves behind, you'll cultivate compassion. These are just some of the ways that we can step into 2022 and this new year and say, man, I want to become more like Christ this year and to seek it. The world around you won't understand it because our world operates so differently, right? We could say it this way, the world is full of pride, lust, hatred, coveting, and darkness. Jesus is full of humility, love, grace, generosity, and light. Be like him. Be like Christ. To be like Christ, to put on Jesus first, it means that you need to know him. And maybe some of you today, the first step is to just believe and receive the gospel. As Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of your life. For some today, man, you, you are a Christian, and today is a call to evaluate, to think deeply about your life, and how can I reflect Jesus more and more in my own life. Some questions to consider here. Have I ever received Christ as Lord and Savior? Is my worship for Him real and passionate or weak and lacking? What Christ-like characters can I cultivate in my life? What is something I can do today before I lay down to sleep that will echo His life? How do we live wise before sunrise? We've seen three ways. We recognize eternity expectantly. We renounce, we shun evil actively, and then we receive Christ completely. When I was in my third year of college, I finally took my PE credit that I needed, uh, and I took a basketball class. Um, and I had intentionally saved my PE credits for like later in my college time so that I could have something to look forward to. Besides just all the classes I had to take, I was like, I'm going to wait. That way I have something fun. And um, I scheduled this basketball class as my PE credit. And I put it at the end of my Tuesday and Thursday. So I would go all day in these classes starting at 8 a.m., Tuesday and Thursday, and my last class was basketball. And our professor, which I was like, man, you could be a professor of basketball? That sounds fun. Um, he would just have us divide evenly into teams. We'd play five on five, and it was just an awesome class. And it was so hard to wait on Tuesday and Thursday. I'd get to school, and I'd be like, oh, I got to sit through biology, chlorophyll, more like borophyll. 
I want to be in, you know, I'm just looking forward to basketball class all day long. I'm like, oh man, I can't wait to get there. And it seemed like time would go so slow, but that anticipation of it caused me to act differently. You say, Josh, did you do something weird? Probably, kind of, yes. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, this is what I would do. I would wear my complete basketball stuff underneath my clothes that I wore to school. So this is like the winter time, and so I'd have jeans and a hoodie or something, and I had my full basketball shorts, tank top, socks, everything. I wanted to be able to walk into class, drop my backpack, throw off the hoodie and jeans, and be like, give me the rock, let's go. I've been waiting all day, let's go. That sense of anticipation, that I knew what was coming, and man, it changed how I live. I bet you can think of events like that in your own life dates or special times or, or whatever it is, man, you knew it was coming and you were looking forward to it and it changed the way you acted. That's a little glimpse into our reality as Christians. The truth is Jesus came down, Jesus died for our sins, and Jesus rose again in power, and I promise you, Jesus is coming back. The night is almost over. The day is coming, the new day, eternity with Christ is coming. Now, how will that change how you live today? Let me pray for you. Father, we thank you. God, I thank you for every single person here today and those joining online. And Father, I pray that we would be encouraged and challenged by your word. Lord, that we would not waste our time, waste any of the days that you graciously give us on things that won't matter. Lord, but let us be a people who look for strategic opportunities for your glory, for your kingdom, for your purposes, and that that would be the defining thing of our lives, that people would look and say, man, that person lives for Jesus Christ. Lord, may it be so. Hear us this morning as we sing to you, as we worship you. You are worthy. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. I pray that the message gave you hope, that you were inspired, you were challenged. And I want to also encourage you that if you'd like to join us live, you can go to myrivervalley.church or download the River Valley app for more info about service times, directions, and ministries. And thank you for giving. Your generosity and how you serve as our church family is so important to us. You are helping reach people for the gospel of Jesus. You can go to myrivervalley.church give for more details there as well. We'll see you next week.